You're listening to an episode from Season 2 of The Player's Voice, a podcast brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association. Just search for The Player's Voice wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll find plenty more conversations like these. Enjoy! Welcome to the latest episode of The Player's Voice, where this week we are joined by Kildare Hurling Captain, and the 2022 Christy Ring Player of the Year, James Burke. My name is Alan O'Mara. I'm the host of this podcast, a former Cavan goalkeeper, and a performance and wellbeing consultant with sports and business leaders around the world. During this chat, James opens up about how bacterial meningitis once turned his whole world upside down. Contracting the rare but deadly infection was a life-threatening experience, and James shares some of the unexpected lessons and perspective he was forced to learn as a young man. We also talked about his journey from hotshot rookie to team captain in a few short years, transitioning from student life to full-time employment while juggling an inter-county career, and how much he has benefited as a person and a player by engaging with the Gaelic Players Association. That's a perfect segue for me to tell you that The Player's Voice is brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. The podcast series is part of Bio360, a GPA programme that empowers inter-county players across four key areas life skills, well-being, dual career and transitions. Please go to bio360.gaelicplayers.com to learn more. To find out more about me or my work as a performance and well-being consultant, you can go to www.realtalks.ie. But for now, please sit back, relax and enjoy the player's voice with James Burke. James Burke, you're very welcome to the Player's Voice. How are you? Alan, how are things? And thanks very much for the invitation on. Looking forward to get chatting. No, we're delighted to have you. I know we're going to be covering various different components of the Bio360 programme as we talk and coming to managing sport-life balance. I wanted to start with on the field with you. Um, just as I was, was researching and looking up you the last couple of weeks to get ready for our conversation today, I suppose I just wanted to jump straight back into the Christy Ring success of last year. I suppose just ask you how important of a win that was as a group and kind of how do you reflect back on that success now? Yeah, reflecting back on it now, um, you understand the importance of it. Obviously, times before, um, we obviously know winning the, the Christy Ring got us promoted to John McDonough, which we're competing in this year. And, and we know we competed that in that um, a couple of years ago as well. And that year we were competing in the league in, in Division 2B um, and the, the step up in, in standard coming up from, from 2B to John McDonough that year was, was probably uh, was too big a gap. And, and we understood the importance of in fact, we had a good, good league campaign last year, or an all right league campaign, stayed in the division. Um, and we knew that if we, if we can get a, a Chris Ring under our belt and, and go into this year with a league and um, a John McDonough, uh, league and John McDonough to compete for, that hopefully we'd be in a bit of a better position um, this year. But no, it was massively important, um, especially considering, I suppose, the, the age profile of the group and, and stuff, a young enough team and, and just kind of getting that success and, and getting them used to it. And, and the day in Croke Park as well, getting that experience of a big day was, was brilliant and, and really important and great to get over the line. What was it like for yourself when you look back on it, like from an individual perspective, getting that? I know you've you'd played in a couple of finals before that at that level as well, but you mentioned it being like a younger team there, or a new group as well. So, what was it like, kind of being one of the main men in 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 that team, whereas maybe maybe previous games you were a, a young hotshot coming through, or a younger player coming through. So, what was that like for you? Yeah, it's something that I probably actually have never really thought about. Like obviously in 2018 when we were there, I'm doing the Christy Ring. Uh, it was my first year on the panel. Um, was was very young, was very inexperienced. Um, twenty twenty, then I'd been there a few years, in kind of middle of the pack, and maybe last year, I would have been seen as more, maybe more of a senior player. Um, so I suppose maybe your your responsibility um on the pitch and I suppose your your leadership and and things come into play a bit more then when 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 you know you're you probably play a bigger role in the team. Um, like if you're lining out at centre forward or, or wing forward and. You know, you have a lot of responsibilities there in terms of organising and talking and communicating to the people around you. Um, so that would have, you know, that that would have changed. Whereas when I was in 2018, and I was only 18 at the time. You know, you're getting getting ordered around or getting directed or guided. Um, maybe last year that the role had kind of changed a small bit. We were talking to maybe a few of the younger players um, in and around your position, just encouraging them um, and getting them through. If they did have any nerves and stuff, you're settling them into it as quick as you can so that they're, they're able to fulfil their potential and perform the day. 
And that kind of that transition that you've talked you've talked about there, James, going from kind of being the younger player to maybe a more senior figure. I was gonna like, what age are you now? Uh twenty four. Okay. So how have you felt like even as yourself as you look back, say the last six years, like how have you found going through those kind of phases in terms of your role and your responsibility like as a player and as a person? Is that something that has sat naturally with you? Has there been challenges to it? Like how would you kind of reflect back on that? Um, I don't think there's as much challenges as maybe you'd expect from a young person coming in. Um, I suppose given, you know, I've referred to the age profile, I kind of came into the team at a time um, where there's a good few kind of people. I mean, on my first year or two, I would have been surrounded by a lot of people that I would have played underage with, um, be it development squads or be it minor with, with lads a year older than me or, or 20, 20s or 21s at the time with, with lads a year or two older than me. So I'm kind of comfortable winning the dress room to an extent. I would have known a lot of people and then you would have had kind of a lot of them older, more experienced lads, especially in that first year, like John Doerr, and you would have had Ain O'Neill, Mark Grace, obviously Div O'Neill, who are still there now. And you would have had Paul Dermody, who's in his select. You would have had a, lot, a big core of that kind of experienced group. And you did, you, you learned an awful lot of, um, from them and you kind of, you learn about, you know, they kind of guide you and, and let you know. And they kind of help you bridge that gap from, from coming from a minor, um, to playing senior. Cause I actually played, I hadn't even played senior club at the time. Um, like I actually made my senior into county debut before I even made my, my senior club debut. So for me, it was a wow, uh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, for me, it was a big step up. So I suppose when when they're there to kind of guide you and support you and encourage you, like the confidence they'd give you, um, would be massive, and it just helps you really settle in. Like, and I suppose that's something I'd like to kind of take with me now. That if there's if there's younger people now bridging into into the panel, like like so maybe Keenborn and and Alan Goss this year, that you're kind of looking to give them the same encouragement and support um, and kind of give them that confidence to, to know that they have absolutely, you know, they have the ability um, to compete at this level. Like, No, that's brilliant. And like, I suppose as well as being that kind of figure in terms of putting arms around the shoulder and helping other players to develop, James, like obviously there's more pressure or expectation for you to do your stuff and to do your, to perform on the field. And I know, I think last year you, you were voted the Christy Ring Player of the Year and scored a, made at 144 across five matches. I don't, I think that's right. Um, I suppose just for yourself as an individual, like what was it like in terms of getting that honour to be kind of honoured in that way from obviously the team won and that, I'm sure that was, no, I have no doubt that was the main focus and, and reward, but what was it like then to be kind of, to be honoured in that way as an individual? Yeah, I, I, I just said there, like you're, you go out to start of the year, you set your goals and, and they're always the team goals. Like obviously the primary goal for myself would have been to get game promotion um, and to win the Crystal Rain Cup. Um, then obviously winning the individual awards on top of that are, are always brilliant. Um, I remember at the time talking talking about it on, on the night actually that the few of us that were there that had won the Christy, Christy Ring also after the Champion uh, 15 awards um, and we would have had a few of us there and I was chatting to Paul Dively and I remember he obviously won it back in, in 2020 and he would have said like, you really only appreciate it um, when you get older, I suppose, as you, as you get older. Um, like it's probably something maybe I like, haven't really reflected on it massively at the moment. Um, obviously, when it gets announced and when you're there, um, you know, it's 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 brilliant for yourself. Um, pride, confidence and the pride you bring to your, your family and your parents. Um, it's brilliant as well, but I suppose maybe when I'm older, um, you might reflect more on the the individual awards. Um, yeah, but as I, as I said, like it's a kind of like it, last year the team, the performance throughout the Christie Ring. Um, like there was, the, you know, there's there's an awful lot of lads I could have got it. Um, but honestly, uh, sorry, obviously I got picked and I was delighted with it. Yeah. No, and congratulations on that. I know it's a couple of months ago now, and and you're in the you're in 2023 mode and in the middle of your season. But I did just kind of want to make a note of it, and I kind of was going to ask you as well, like as from a from a player's perspective, and like as hurling as a game tries to grow and evolve in counties, say like Kildare or Kerry or Derry or wherever that may be, does an award scheme like that in terms of trying to raise the profile and shine a light and give some attention to the game in those counties. Like, do you think, taking out the fact that you won and like getting by like you, but do you think that's helpful in terms of the game and trying to like, you know, promote the players and the quality of players that are there underneath maybe the Liam McCarthy standard? I think so, definitely. It's brilliant to to be able to get that kind of the lower levels being recognised on that kind of national stage. Like we had our own night um, last year and we would have had the Talton Cup All-Stars there as well. And in previous years, it would have been um, 
you know, the Champion 15 would have been with the Dillian McCarthy and the Sam Maguire All-Stars. But I think even to have its own night and to have the GAA kind of promote on their social media and stuff was brilliant um, because you become the central focus then. Whereas maybe in previous years, um, like it might have been a bit under, you know, brushed under the table where, you know, it's obviously about the Dillian McCarthy and the Sam Maguire. And obviously that's, they're the big awards. They're, they deserve the limelight. But I think the fact that the teams had their own kind of night last year, a separate night in Croke Park, which was streamed. Um, like it was brilliant because, you know, it really gave those players in the, the lower divisions the, the limelight that they that they probably deserve. I think that's such a I think that's such an important point. That's why I did want to ask you, because that was my gut kind of my gut reaction when I saw that it was happening. Um, as you said, and just being there and feeling like you know you are you guys are the star of the show on that night, and rather being a, a sideshow. I know we'll not get too bogged down in that, but I suppose you you mentioned the like you mentioned levels there, and it, it already come up earlier in our conversation of let's say Kildare have won the Christie Ring, I think three times. So it's twenty eighteen, twenty twenty, and then twenty twenty two. So like as a team and as a county, you have been yo yo and up and down through those those levels. I think it's fair to say. So I was kind of. I wanted to get your perspective on kind of what Kildare need to do to, I suppose, try and maintain those standards and kind of get out of that yo-yo and up and down, James. Yeah, well, the biggest thing is, is consistency. Um, and it would be about, you know, like for, for this year, goals will be going in. Um, like you would have been saying, obviously, at the minimum, like to, to stay consistent, like to, to, re- to bridge that gap and to stay at that level, like obviously you need to be playing in Division 2A in the league and you need to be playing consistently in the John McDonough as well. As you said, that kind of yo-yo team, um, as such that, that we might have been in the last few years with winning the Christie Ring, getting relegated, winning the Christie Ring. Um, like it doesn't, it, it makes it hard to, hard to bridge that gap because you're not getting a consistent exposure to games at that level. Um, so I think, I think just kind of that, that's the main thing. Like, and I suppose it's, you can see it even with maybe me as well and stuff like there's a lot of teams like Derry there's a lot of teams kind of are, are very close to bridging that gap to being at the levels of the likes of Carlo, Kerry um, Offaly now even as well like but yeah it's just about getting consistency that performance and getting kind of for, for us as well it's a big thing is our underage structures like we have developments we have a good development kind of squads in there now kind of good structures in place you know our 20s team for example is taken a lot more seriously than the 20s team and 21 teams that I would have been involved in like was run over a couple of weeks whereas now there's there's months of training and proper training and proper coaching put into it and, and strength and conditioning and everything so that's that'll help as well hopefully um, over time but but yeah there's a lot of a lot of factors that, that'll play into that No there definitely is it's um, like I suppose just like as I'm listening to you there like when you're saying when you kind of came through at the underage, the the kind of development was almost like a. It sounds like there was a bit of wing in it, or just a bit of a kind of rush job. Whereas what's in place right now is giving lads more exposure to being consistent and higher levels of training, or actually just coaching and support. I guess is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. Like I think in every county in the in the next couple of years, the, like the game is going to evolve so much. Players are going to be faster, fitter more skillful like I suppose when when I went through the development squads like it was kind of the initial stages it was kind of the first couple of years like you know obviously things weren't going to be perfect whereas I think now the fact they've been going on a bit longer you know they've been making steady improvements like you have now um, like you obviously as, I, as, I, as I've alluded to there like strength and conditioning you've actually coaches coming in you're you're working on the fundamentals maybe I'm not too, too sure what age they'd be looking at but like 15 or 16 whereas for me I hadn't seen the inside of a gym until I got into a senior, the senior team in 2018, really. Um, whereas now you'll obviously in a, in most counties you'd have minors doing a small bit of work. Um, and you could possibly even have 16 starting just getting technique and stuff so that they're ready to hit the ground running in minor. But but yeah, definitely sounds like that's a that's a positive development. So and then I'm just curious, like, would you see a difference in maybe let's say an 18, 19, 20 year old coming in now compared to when you are? Are they coming in a little further on, maybe in terms of the development line than than you even regard yourself as what you were at at that point? Oh, one hundred percent. Like the the lads coming in now, the last couple of years, eighteen, nineteen, they're much even more filled out. They're more powerful, faster than than my kind of group would have been coming in at that stage. And even looking like if, if you're watching now, if I'm watching the whole group final, even in the schools, um, like. I would have gone to an ACBS and they've had a bit of success there in the last couple of years. Like when I was in school, 
like there was no like it would have been a very like all the teams that would have been playing and, and your team would have been light you would have never seen the gym whereas now like the Hogan's Cup like a lot of the teams competing in Hogan Cups and Crow Cups and stuff they're all getting into the gym like they're doing gym sessions as part of their school training which was just unheard of like when I was in fifth and sixth year which is, which is mad and that shows it again like that shows how the times are changing and you know uh, that that you're seeing that then when kind of players are making the step up into senior squads or twenties or minors that they are more physically developed um, and more powerful and athletic. Definitely, that's brilliant. Um, and then say reflecting on your your journey through the developmental phase and coming through development squads and stuff, James. Like obviously, Kildare would be known to be lots of football in the county. There's rugby as well around there. At what point in your life did you? was hurling kind of to the forefront? Was it always? Was there a decision had they made at any point? Like, tell me a little bit kind of around the, so the backstory to where you are now, where you're the captain of the Kildare hurling team at 24 and kind of playing consistently and regularly. When did you maybe jump back a little bit for me? Yeah. Um, I suppose I've always, like I've always played football and hurling with, with my club all the way up and I, and I still do. Um, then I would have kind of under 14, um, I would have gone for kind of development squads that both football and hurling didn't make it in football made it in hurling so obviously then under 14 15 development squads playing hurling under 16 I got invited back uh, invited back for trials in football uh, made football that year so would have done the duel in 16s um, kind of development squads playing duel hurling and football um, then the following year minor as well first year minor I was I was playing the duel playing the two um, and 18 last year minor I played the two as well so it was kind of once I come out of that minor was when I really felt like you had, I had to make a choice. Um, and then my choice was kind of made a bit easier for me considering the fact that, that Joe Quaid had rang me um, at the end of that year to invite me into the senior panel um, for 2018. Like that kind of forced my hand a small bit, but I was always, I always have been probably more of a, I would have seen myself more as a hurler. Um, now obviously people for football side of things would try to be telling you maybe you're more of a footballer, but like I and while I still love football, um, I love getting back to playing it with with things. I probably hurling would have always been my f- my first love and my passion. Um, and like now that year in twenty eighteen, I got asked into the twenties footballers for that year at the same time. Um, but like obviously uh, that year, I just I said it would have been it would it would have been impossible to try play break onto a senior into county uh, hurling team and play try break into a twenties football team as well. And and I just said that year I was going to go with the hurling. Um, we'll see how it came if the football was to invite me back later after yeah, once the Christy Ring was finished I'd see how it was and just how things played out then um, that year um, I just I, I I just stayed with Hurling and didn't uh, didn't go into the football Was there anything like was there anything particular about the game of Hurling itself James was it that kind of you felt there was going to be a greater opportunity to advance quicker like what was kind of the rationale around that that time window for you um, don't know if I'd say the opportunity to advance quicker it was just I, the game of Hurling skill level involved I'd always enjoyed it so much um, and I suppose I would have seen like with my own group kind of my development squad my minor team would have been a, a relatively strong, not as strong at the time. It would have been quite strong um, coming through, and I suppose a bit of naivety at the time. You're thinking, right? There's future Kildare could be could be quite strong in the hurling. I'd love to be a part of that. Um, now, when you when you look back and you reflect on it, you're like, our team was nowhere near as strong as maybe the minor teams the last two or three years, but. That was something that at the time as well I would have seen. I would have said, look, I think Kildare Hurling is, is only going to go up. And thankfully, I suppose it has um, in the last couple of years since I've been involved and slowly making making improvements. But that's something that would have maybe played a small bit of a factor as well. Yeah, no, for sure. It's um, okay. So you you make that decision and you've, you've been with the senior hurler since 2018, James. And then talk to me about being appointed captain for the season ahead. So I think earlier this year you were, you were announced captain of the team. Was that something you were expecting? Was that something that took you by surprise? Kind of what was, how did that come about? Yeah, definitely was something that kind of uh, took me by surprise. Like I definitely wasn't expecting it considering, um, I was considering even just how, how, Good a captain Brian was before, and and how he had done it for a number of years, had got a bit of success. That I wasn't really, never really came across my mind that that anything would change. Kind of, you just you think, you know, I don't know. It just it just 
you wouldn't, I wouldn't have expected it now at all, no, but the change came and yeah, hopefully it's been going all right so far. Yeah, it was something that I definitely wanted to talk to you a little bit about because I think anyone listening in terms of sometimes even as a, if it's like, listen, like loads of players from all different inter-county squads have been listening. I know myself, sometimes as a player, you don't even realise sometimes what some of the stuff the captain has to do. But then also I think the general kind of, the general listener or general public would also kind of be curious around kind of, I suppose people get bogged down or get obsessed with, you know, like the captain on the field, the big speeches and all that. But just in terms of, I suppose, practically the role itself, is there anything you found yourself having to do that like surprised you, that took you like, you know, that you didn't think you'd have to be doing or is there anything you've been doing that extra that you kind of enjoy? Can you kind of give us a little insight into kind of what that role and the responsibilities of that role looks like? Yeah, um, I suppose when I was... When I got the call to, to let me know, I appointed the captain that kind of David said, Look, don't overthink things, don't change to what you've been doing. He said, obviously, there was a rationale behind um, appointing you. And so it kind of just, I've tried to continue as, as I have been I have been doing what I've been doing the last year or two. Um, obviously, with being a, ca- with being a captain, um, there's more like media responsibilities in terms of going to launches of things, being involved with, you know, this year with the the kind of the, the extension of the Brady's Family Ham sponsorship, I was involved with a bit of that. Um, obviously, then media in terms of interviews after games and and, and things. Normally, you you'll be the point of contact or or so that the that local radio stations might um might reach out to. But no, in terms of leadership in the squad, um, I've, I've tried to just kind of keep doing what I've been doing the last couple of years. Not not make any change or not change the way I've, I've done things. Usually, we've We've kind of a, a kind of core core group there, kind of core leadership group of of five or six lads that are and, and Paddy as vice captain is brilliant as well. So there's a lot of, like there's a lot of leaders within the our squad and different age profiles, different experience, different leadership traits that all kind of you know contribute to it, um, to the whole setup. So yeah, well you know in in my in my circumstances and all a massive amount has changed in terms of my role within the dressing room. But um well, you know, obviously other other counties, other setups, thing, things might be slightly different. But but for me not a huge amount has changed. Yeah. Although obviously you have to be more conscious that you have to be the one driving standards and that you have to kind of set high standards for yourself and you can't be kind of slacking. That's that's one thing obviously that 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 has to be part of it. Yeah. I suppose it'd be like how would you kind of how would you view yourself as a leader or, or how would you kind of describe yourself your as a leader in terms of your own style in terms of I know you mentioned leadership group there and then like been surrounded by other leaders I suppose within the group so it's I'm I'm not here I don't want the conversation to be again the stereotypical like uh captain does all this stuff but I suppose just in general like who you are the type of leader you are like kind of how would you describe describe yourself in that way Um I don't think I'd describe myself as as your captain, a lot of people might think that would be giving the motivational speech for games, real kind of talk. I'd be I'd be loud on the pitch in terms of talking. I'd like to think in in terms of encouraging teammates and that. Um, I think I'd be I'd be very comfortable um, around everyone in the dressing room as well to have conversations, various different conversations. I'd be open for if anyone wanted to come to me about absolutely anything. I, I think I'm I'm kind of more that kind of quiet leader that would kind of have one-to-one or, or small group conversations rather than someone who would it would constantly or always kind of address and kind of give those kind of big speeches. Although obviously there is a time for for things like that and for types, but in terms of generally, I think I'm more of maybe a, a quieter leader and I try to kind of, you know, even, you know, kind of lead by example as such, like a kind of, you know, you try to be down at, at training early and you'd be trying to obviously train really well and, and bring everyone, bring everyone else, bring everyone else along with you um, but there's a lot of people like that again that's like it's not a case where that's an issue with Kildare where you need to bring people along a lot like a lot of the players hold themselves to high standards as it is um, which is great and it, it makes kind of the life of a captain and a management team um, and every player just makes their life a lot easier when everyone's kind of singing off the same hymn sheet and, and kind of has those high standards and holds himself accountable to it no, I appreciate that kind of that insight both from yourself, James, and just in terms of kind of that big picture leadership. You know, I think, like I think over the especially the last couple of years, like intercounty dressing rooms and sporting dressing rooms in general have become much more like nuanced in terms of there's different ways of doing things, and there's depending on the blend of characters, and you're supposed to just trying to get the best out of 
out of yourself and getting the best out of the people around you then as well. Um, I was going to ask you is then, so like the stuff comes, it sounds like you were told to kind of, you know, keep doing what you're doing and ultimately don't change a whole pile. Um, is there is there any strengths of yours that you've had to lean on that you found you've, you've found really comfortable leaning on? Or is there anything maybe that you found yourself being like, oh, I better do a bit of work on that or I want to get better at that in terms of my role to help the wider group or to help yourself? Um, something I think I would like to maybe get better at and kind of get more comfortable with would, would kind of be that kind of, you know, that kind of large group kind of speaking, kind of motivational speaking, as I said, um, like it's not something that I want to change about me that I'd become that and, and do it every game, but it's probably something that I would like to become more, more, more confident with. And, you know, even the things like, um, kind of when you're in work scenarios and in your different kind of situations, when you're exposed to different kind of various different personalities and different people in different situations, you get to pull, you get to learn a lot from, from all those people. So, you know, over time you, you're picking up few bits and pieces and you, you are becoming more confident um you know even if it's a case of say you're in work and you're speaking in a meeting like you become more confident then about speaking in front of groups and that so like i think that is something that you would like to improve in terms of um enhancing my leadership maybe but yeah that, yeah that's pretty much it no thank you um Definitely, just kind of wanted to have just to, just to touch upon that without doing a deep dive. I just think it's it's always it's obviously always interesting as well to see a younger player kind of being awarded that that role in leadership sense, but then getting those insights. So appreciate that a lot. Um, in terms of a, of pivoting on and moving on, James, like I know we talked there about kind of you being at your best and chasing to be your best and, and working on your game, but on and off the field and. If it's okay with you, I was going to jump back to 2018, which I believe was your first year on the inter-county setup. And then I suppose out of nowhere, like your world was just rocked and turned upside down, right? To a point where, I mean, I'm sure you must have been wondering whether, never mind, were you going to play hurling again? Like you, because things basically got as bad, almost as bad as they could get for you without me kind of... Let me explain it, but I suppose for anyone that's not listening or that doesn't know, you would have been diagnosed with, I think it was bacterial meningitis, James, was it? Yeah. Can you just, so for even, I'll be honest with you for myself, when I read the, I read an article about it, I was like, I didn't even know what it was, so I kind of had to do a bit of research to get a better understanding of it. But for anyone that's kind of listening in terms of, we'll be sure, could you tell us a little bit about kind of what that is, like what happened and what that period of time was like for you? Yeah, I suppose I might just give a, a rundown of, of how it all happened and or kind of my 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 experience or kind of what happened. So um still actually funny enough to this day, um we don't know where I picked it up. Um they said it's which is very unusual. They said normally it comes in clusters or it could be three or four people and they all have it at once. But they said no one else um in the country at that time when I went in with it had it. So that was very unusual that I couldn't pinpoint from from where I got it. But the week before um this is this is my own maybe opinion of where I potentially could have got it one of the, one of the places. So before the week before, obviously we had won the as part of the DCU Freshers team that had won the Fresher A hurling championship. Um, so as part of that team, and, and obviously we, we celebrated that for a day or two. Um, roll on to the next week, then um, Monday, uh, I started started working just kind of a multi activity camp in Clongo. So it would have kind of just been one of those kind of sports camps. It was during the Easter holidays. As a student, I think I was at a reading week, so I said, look, get taking a bit of money um and just and just do a bit of work there. It shouldn't, shouldn't be too bad, shouldn't be too strenuous. Um so I worked there Monday, Tuesday, was feeling hundred percent, was feeling fine, was feeling all good since since that kind of the the day or two after the for the freshest hurling final. And then on Wednesday, um came home from work and I started feeling a bit not a hundred percent, kind of just a bit fluey, kind of flu like symptoms. It was just generally unwell um but like i kind of just brushed it aside you know it's nothing just a little cold i picked up or a little bug or something like a didn't feel great but didn't feel terrible at the same time um then during the night i struggled sleeping i started getting really bad headaches all night and i was projectile vomiting which would be very unusual for me like i very rarely get sick or vomit um which was kind of bit unusual kind of was like right maybe it's a tummy bug um or something like that so then thursday obviously rang in sick to to the camp didn't go to work um so i was feeling just again i was feeling unwell wasn't feeling great had bad headaches um at that stage 
my mom was just like, oh, it doesn't get sick very often or doesn't get sick, you know, it doesn't really get sick or doesn't really make a deal about getting sick. If he had sick, he'd kind of stay quiet. Um, he wouldn't kind of say much. So she kind of checked for a rash just out of interest, checked, couldn't find anything. Um, so it was grand. And then just while I was obviously, when I was sick and I was lying at home, then on the couch, just watching TV as you do when you're sick, um, kind of started breathing a bit funny. Um, my sister was sitting on the, the couch opposite me and kind of a bit kind of labored in a way and was kind of out of rhythm. Um, again, like me just being kind of, me kind of being me, I was just kind of wasn't saying anything, was getting on with it, didn't want to be making a fuss. Um, but then she kind of just went down and said to my mom, and she said, James is breathing kind of weird. So then my mom came down and she was like, you're not right, we'll bring it to the doctor. So I was like, grand, we'll go to the doctor. Um, so I went to the doctor, um, my headaches were fairly bad at this stage now, um, fairly, fairly bad. And I, my doctor obviously wasn't sure what happened, did a few things, the usual blood pressure, um, checked my heart rate and stuff. So my heart rate was really high. Was really high. Um, and he didn't really know, obviously, you know, with just a headache, high heart rate, he wasn't sure what it was. Could tell, obviously, the fact my heart rate was so elevated, he knew there, there was something wrong with me. So he thought it might have been something to do with my heart, but he kind of suggested that my mom brought me to A&E. So then from there, mom was obviously driving me to Tala, to A&E. Um, and then during the car, my headaches got even worse at this stage, like nearly unbearable, really, really bad. Um, I started getting sick, um, so I started vomiting once again. And then once I arrived in A and E, um, things just kind of deteriorated very, very quickly. Um, I went from just kind of vomiting sporadically to kind of nearly constantly vomiting every couple of seconds. Um, started hallucinating and becoming like very, very agitated. Like I don't remember any of this. Um, it was only my parent, my mom would have been telling me this afterwards. Um, so my, the doctor we got into obviously got seen quicker because I was in deteriorating in such a bad way that they brought me in obviously and kind of checked me. The doctor had asked my mom, did you check for a rash? They obviously might have considering the symptoms. Um, they kind of maybe said this could be meningitis or they just they said to check for a rash anyway. My mom said, I checked yet, yeah, there's no rash. Then the doctors, you know, they wanted to be sure, they wanted to check. Um, so they stripped me fully and they found a rash on my feet, which was, you know, my mom, when she checked me, never checked, took off my socks to check my feet. So then at that stage when I had the the rash, they rushed me then um, from the kind of public area in A&E um, to be treated for meningitis, which is what, you know, they kind of assumed that I had had. Okay. Um, at, yeah. And at this stage, I was like, again, like I was hallucinating, was really agitated. I had no recollection of anything happened. Didn't even know you don't remember this period of time, no, then, do you? I don't remember like, this at all. Yeah. Um, and I just was going mad. I was think I was going mad. I didn't like they were asking me my name. I just was kept saying the one word. I think my mom said was Magnum. I just kept saying Magnum, Magnum. Like I was <laughs> at this stage, I was completely gone. Oh my um, god, James. Yeah, so they had to seduce me then to get the IV drip in. Um, the doctors kind of. Then spoke to my my parents. They said um, the CT scan showed up showed severe swelling to the brain, um, and that they're going to treat me for meningitis. Um, but there was no. I needed to go to ICU, um, but there was no bed then available. The only bed at the time in ICU was in Beaumont, um, but they couldn't actually risk transferring me because of infection. And then just just fortunately, then a bed became available. In Tallah, so I was given an isolation room down in the uh, ICU and was put on a ventilator and put into an induced coma. Um, yeah, so they said the next 24 hours then obviously were, were critical. Um, and my parents then that they that they'd update my parents every every hour or so. Um, yeah, so that was kind of initially it. Then obviously they needed to find out exactly what form of bacteria or what form of meningitis I had. So they couldn't do a lumbar puncture to confirm um, because the swelling in the brain was too severe. And that they just said that the risk would far outweigh the benefits of doing lumbar puncture. So instead, they took uh, they took blood cultures to to see if it was bacterial meningitis. And in the time being, they just treated me with a load of antibiotics to kind of cover off every possibility. And then they said, um, suppose then uh, bacteria grew on the blood cultures, and then they could stop giving me everything else and just treat me for bacterial meningitis. Um, yeah, so I responded obviously then thankfully, um, responded well to that and I came off the ventilator on Sunday. So that's whatever it was, three days later. Um, then when I woke up, you know, I just was in the meantime, like obviously family, 
obviously were were very very concerned. Friends, the whole kind of community, anyone I would have known would have been um, would have been fairly concerned, and and they wouldn't have known what was happening. I know the the GA communities, and particularly in in Nace and in Salins and in the surrounding areas around kind of Nace and the local parishes, um, they were they were brilliant at the time, and and they would have ran masses. They would have said prayers and stuff. Um, it would have just been a brilliant kind of support to, to my family and my friends and kind of that network. Um, but then, yeah, obviously, thankfully, it all, it all, it all worked out. And Sunday, I, I woke up and I was confused. I was confused for about a day. Didn't really know what was happening. Yes, for sure. Um, just... Didn't know what was happening. And then stayed a total of 10 days in the hospital, just slowly building myself back up. And yeah, like I had to get walking. Like when I came out, like I couldn't move. I'd obviously lost a, a load of weight. Um, the lads would slag me out. They said I kind of, they came in to see me after a few days that I nearly had a full beard and they'd never seen me with facial hair. So, um, <laughs> yeah, no, but like it was just a case of slowly building everything back up. Like I could barely eat, like couldn't barely move in the bed initially. Then it was slowly getting walking. And then obviously, thankfully, after 10 days, they were happy to, to move me out and get me home. What a, what a crazy whirlwind like in terms of you know you're obviously a young man healthy you're playing sports you're you're working in camps like and this just comes out of nowhere really right and it's like I mean in some ways I've been a million questions running through my head but I suppose like, it's not you don't even have the memory of someone like telling like you're going to be in an induced coma like that's all just done so like in some ways it's your, it's your family and friends that are the ones sitting around dealing with like the terror of what's happening is it like so, is that right like because you're just out of it yeah right? like I didn't know uh, last thing I can remember um like when I woke up was just being in ICU or was being getting to Thailand and sitting in the any waiting area and that was literally it I don't remember going in being seen any of that like I just the last thing I remember like even when I woke up I think just because of the state I was in or because I was so confused and still so unwell. Like my, my parents didn't tell me, didn't give me my phone for I think three days. Once I wake up, they didn't want me on my phone. They didn't want me like people, obviously loads of texts coming in at the time, like group chats that I was involved in, people updating people and that. They just didn't want me kind of knowing what had gone on. So they kind of wanted to wait for me to be kind of somewhat getting back to normal before they told me. So they kind of they gave me my phone. They kind of gave me an overview of what had happened. They were like, don't look up. They're like, don't look up like bacterial meningitis patients. So don't Google it, don't see, because obviously, and I still really to this day haven't properly looked into it. Um, like there's obviously an awful lot that can go wrong. You can like you can lose your ability the parts you're like obviously you can like you you can lose functionality in certain areas of your body and stuff and just that this is this was really serious, they said. Um like but they didn't want me obviously getting too overwhelmed, overthinking everything. So like I try not to reflect on it massively. Um like I kind of just tried to once I got up and out there and once I started feeling better, I kind of just started to try to get back to my normal routine and, and go back to things as, as quick as I can. I took as quick as I could. I I just pulled it up there just in, in terms of anyone listening, James, just still if they're not sure kind of what it is, like it's basically it's a bacterial infection that surrounds or it gets into the cell membrane around the brain and the spinal cord, so it can cause things like septicemia, and it's obviously a very, very serious infection where can can kill people, people can die, as you said there, can get lots of other serious consequences. Um, so I suppose, obviously, I just kind of say that from the perspective of you've described a lot of the symptoms and kind of what you were going through in terms of just awareness, and then kind of coming out the other side of it then, like, you're so waking up, you coming back out of the coma, like, you obviously... You said a day, like your head must have just been spinning in terms of what the heck. Like the, the last memory you have must have been what, like being at home or like yeah, coaching at, yeah. at, at a camp. Like yeah, last memory I had was yeah, just like your, your normal day today, and all of a sudden, just things took a turn so quickly. You find yourself in in ICU on the way to Tala in ICU. The next thing you're waking up in an ICU bed with a little box TV up there and no one in the room with you. Your parents looking, waving through you, grandparents waving through you, waving through the window at you. They can't even come in initially for the first day. Like you're kind of going, what is, what happened? What is wrong with me? Because at that time you, you wake up, you know, like you're obviously really weak. You're, you're not feeling great, but you can, you know, you're looking at, you're looking around, you can see everything. You're moving fine. You're kind of thinking, what's this big deal about? What happened? But yeah. Like what happened? And, 
it's only then when yeah you find out what 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 really what you went through and what they what well, I mean, what I went through. It's more so the people that that knew what was going on is it's nearly what, what was worse. They, they were living, I suppose, probably on the Friday, the Saturday, hour by hour, seeing what was going to happen. And like you said earlier, and just correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you said earlier that like you were the only person in the country to have it at that time. What were you? So it's like it's obviously like an extremely rare infection. Like it's yeah. That, Quite rare, quite rare, um, very rare actually. Yeah, um, it's normally like if someone gets meningitis, it's normally viral meningitis, um, which is okay less severe. Obviously, thankfully, um, but but with to get actually bacterial meningitis is very rare, and, and that's something my mom would have said. He said it was it was mad because as I as I mentioned at the start that it normally comes in clusters of kind of two or three or four people that would all get it at once. That's that's where it would be spread. But the fact that no one else had gone into no one else had had it at that time uh, was very, very unusual and very strange. Mm. Yeah. It's so strange. It's such a, almost like, it's like a crazy story. Like when I was, when I was reading about it, I was like, like, <laughs> I just was like, what? And I'm sure even as you retell, like, retell it, you're almost, like, because there's no, like, you don't get an explainer. It's just one of these weird things that happens. And then obviously, and thankfully you survive like the hospital, the like the medical or the health service are all, like, they look after you basically. And then how weird is the kind of couple of days and couple of weeks afterwards as you try and, as you try and rebound and rebuild both mentally and physically, like in terms of like trying to piece together what have happened and then like actually starting to move forward with it. Cause again, I'm sure you don't have like, oh, this is what happened. This is why it happened. You just, it just happened and you have to try and bounce back from it. Is that was that kind of this, was that the lay of the land like? Yeah, just had to kind of bounce back back when obviously had the physios and and stuff working with me to get kind of the usual like you know walking. It was just a case of even start walking to the toilet, get go to the toilet by myself, like getting all that initially. Um, and then by the end of it, it was kind of I'd been moved out and was obviously on the ward. Then had my own room, kind of had a bit more more freedom. But again, like they were very like it was very still even at this stage. Like couple like seven eight days later was still like, obviously still wasn't 100%, was obviously still weak, lacked energy. Um, but like once I got home, and once I started feeling, a, after a couple of days, I started feeling a bit better. Like all I wanted to see was like, you know, 18 year old me, like you're you're young, you're a bit naive. Like all I wanted to do was go back to the way things had been before. Like I wanted to get back training. I wanted to go back to, like I wanted to get back preparing for my college exams, like which were like, that would have been, April when it happened, like it would have been Easter, and then like obviously your your exams in college are like they're starting May, like and I wanted to get back and I wanted to sit down. I didn't like I was like I know way am I doing them in in August time, like ruining my summer. Like uh, that was what I what I wanted to do, and even like the and my dad would joke with me, were saying like when I, when I woke up, one like one of the first things I said to him was, "Did you tell Joe Quay that I, I wouldn't be a train?" And like that was like at me like at that time in my life was just like hurling, hurling, hurling was nearly everything. Like yeah, and like all I wanted to do was get back. Like once I felt up to it, I wanted to just get back down to the pitch by myself, hitting a few balls and stuff like just feeling a bit normal again. Like um, obviously, like in in hindsight, it was a bit mad to be going back and rushing things so quickly, but like. Thankfully, thankfully, it didn't have any negative impacts, and it all worked out. Yeah, and I'm sure, and like, I'm sure you would have been coming back kind of at your own pace as well. But and I'm sure it was providing like almost like a positive escapism from the the rehab and the recovery. That that's just you just getting kind of back out into a flow and with the slither, with the hurl, and like just kind of get as you. I think you described as wanting just to get back to how things More, were. Yeah. Um, like, was there any struggles, like, mentally, like, within that kind of block in terms of, like, because we often, we, like, in my line of work, you would talk to people and, like, Joe, stuff like that happens and actually remove some of the things someone would do for their well-being or someone would do that helps them, like, be an exercise or if it's been around other people or whatever. Like, was there, was there any kind of periods within that kind of recovery that was, like, that was really challenging or that kind of was, like, weighing you down? Or did you feel like you were just, it was just, it was time and you were kind of moving through it? Yeah, thankfully, no, that was, that was it. It was just time I was moving through it. Thankfully, it wasn't, like, mentally, it was grand. It wasn't really, didn't see it as a struggle, I suppose. You know, you'd be saying as well, like, when you do kind of, obviously, I was, my mom and dad were like, don't have luck. You obviously do have a quick look. Like, you kind of look at it and you're kind of saying, in a way, you're lucky as well. In a way, things, yeah. like, could have been a lot worse. Like, whatever, like, you know, this 
a lot of like extreme things that could have happened and the fact that I came out of it like 100% was just like it was a nearly a miracle in itself as well like in a, in a way maybe um so I was just kind of just delighted to be back like to be at the time delighted to be you know back home from the hospital with being able to see people like having friends calling over to the house and just like having like your family there around you the whole time like so when I was in the hospital yeah like it was lonely um but like once once you got out of it like it was just things were getting better things were on the up and like that's the way you had to look at it like you were like every day you're feeling better and you're better like you know just want to get back then like, I don't know how long it was after like sat my exams got through them that was a great boost then like a couple of weeks later I'm back doing a small bit of training like I never went back now fully I don't even think I went back fully training I think I might have done one full training session with Kildare that year nearly I was just doing my own bit myself and my own kind of pace um, not pushing things because like obviously the management team at the time were very concerned about like they didn't want to push me too hard in case it set me back in any way so I was just given the freedom to do my own bit to keep myself happy tipping over keep the touch in and like I know that year like in terms of the hurling when I went, when I did go back like it was the first guy like, I came on played 15 minutes against Wicklow in the last group game of the Christa Ring that year Derry again they didn't they didn't start came on at half time that game and the final I started like that was how little I had played and they found maybe one training session there that was only a light puck around maybe the day before one of the matches or something like it was just but all those things that just getting back to going back to even the, the kind of the setting a team environment and, and seeing all the lads you would have been seeing three times a week up until it happened like you're you were just buzzing to be back in those kind of situations and, and being back kind of to your normal life. Yeah, it must have been such a, like a, I don't know if it was a, you would describe it as a grounding experience, James, or if it was like kind of enhances your sense of, pers- like your sense of perspective to go from being that young 18 year old kid, as you said, it, as we've been talking, kind of hurling, 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 like chasing your dream, active, like playing away, competing, trying to get better. Then for just to be like, more or less overnight completely ripped away that like you know and as you said at the time you don't even have a clue what's going on and then to be able to kind of reintegrate over time and it sounds like you were managed very well both as a as a human and as a as a and as a player to reintegrate Jan and, and to be cautious with it but what was it like then for you to like do you remember that the final that year in terms of being back you've played a 50 minutes you've played a half and then to get to play in a Christa Ring final I presume it was in Crow Park like that must have been a very strange it must have been a very surreal kind of full circle moment for you and I suppose for your family and kind of the people around you as well, was it? Yeah, just like, like, like you, I would have said to me, like at the time, um, like looking back on it to say that I would have played in a Chris Ring final, like whenever it was, two months, maybe maybe 10 weeks after it had happened after I got out, like it was mad. It was just, yeah, as you said, kind of that full, full circle moment and looking back on it is that it shows you kind of how quick um like things can change and how like you know like that kind of gives you a different perspective on life in terms of how how fast things move and how fast things can change and how you can just go from from one place to another so quickly like in completely completely different places completely different situations you can be in a great place and all of a sudden you're you're down in, in the dumps a small bit like and it just yeah it shows you kind of how quickly things can change and it gives definitely gives you a young head at the time, um, a different perspective as well on life. And that kind of what you touched upon there, James, like, is that something, and like, if the answer's no to this, like, feel, like, feel free to say no, but like, is that something that you would carry with you in terms of like a life experience and a learning and a perspective that like, if you're playing now or let's say you've lost a game at the weekend or you've like, whatever the, the higher low of sport is like, is, is that something that, you, that sticks with you? Like, is that something that kind of has shaped be it you as a person or like if it's your leadership style or your like resilience, all the stuff we've talked about so far. Like is it something that has had that kind of impact on you as an individual? Um it definitely has probably again I wouldn't think of it massively. Subconsciously I'd say it would. Um definitely in terms of that like I suppose consciously, you know, resilience, like you look at that and you can kind of say if I could overcome that, if I could get through if I could get, get back playing at the high level there and I could go back and get to college and after missing lectures and missing such a period of time for study and get through those lectures like I kind of just it does like when I think back on things or when I'm like if I'm struggling with things I'll always just be like looking back and say like you, you can get through it like all you need to do is kind of stay optimistic and, and stay working hard on it and, and and things will 
will eventually come back around and and go back to being good again. Like yeah, but like there hasn't been that'd be that'd be about the height of it. I, I wouldn't think too deeply yeah, into yeah. it in, in other ways. Yeah. No, I appreciate you kind of like retelling that story, James, and reflecting on me. Like I'll be like I I don't think I've ever even met anyone who's experienced meningitis B as you've like or bacterial meningitis that you've talked about. It's such a I mean, it's just such a crazy experience. Um, and like, I suppose getting back to, you mentioned exams there a few times that you jumped straight back into the exams as well. Um, and I was going to kind of pivot to that in terms of like, we've talked about life on the field. We've talked about the, that experience from a health perspective and kind of the challenges of that. So you jump back into your exams. What were you studying around that time? Uh, I was business studies and I was actually in my first year. Yeah, I was in my first year. Okay, so you're, you're only a little baba. Yeah, I was only a little baby at the time, yeah. But no, it was like, it was mad. Obviously, when like your first year of college, you listened to all, like the, the, the exam results aren't to be all and end all, but like you still wanted to, like, the way I was and the way like kind of brought up like in, in school and stuff, like parents would have always placed a decent importance on you know doing well in in school like doing well in exams so like I'd obviously like uh, I was kind of I was always ambitious in a way I didn't like for me like I didn't want to even 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 after that I didn't want to just simply pass it like I didn't want to just get 40% of everything I wanted to do as well as I could do and and, and try achieve a 2-1 overall um which I which I did just about which was which I was delighted with as well but like DCU at the time as well were were brilliant were a brilliant help or a brilliant support like I would have had uh, Paul O'Brien kind of on who would have been involved the hurling and the kind of GA side of things would have been brilliant in terms of organising he would have offered if I wanted extra grinds or anything and, and um, Professor Brian McGrath as well uh, he would have been brilliant at the time as well um, like he would have spoke to he would have been in touch with my my parents and GCU as a whole kind of they gave me a, a free pass and I as well they said like look you can sit your exams and if you do fail one or two or you fail all of them, like you can sit them obviously for free, like you don't have to pay the repeat repeat fee. So I kind of had that free pass. So that's why I was kind of like, hey, look, I have nothing to lose here. I'll study, I'll try to get them all done now. If I, if the first comes to worst, I fail one, I can repeat it in August and give it socks then. Um, but like at the time, DC were very, very, very helpful for me and they were great support like as well. No, it's, it's, and it's great to hear that, you know, um, in terms of, yeah, obviously you have and pride yourself on that kind of resilience and bouncing back into it, but then to also feel supported in that. And like, even as you said there, getting like that kind of the freedom of that kind of burden of well, what does failure mean? And like, would it be, would, would I be penalized? And obviously like so you've played, you, you were playing fresher hurling in DC at the time you were doing your degree. E, ultimately, I'm guessing the DCU experience is a positive one. You finished the DC or business studies, and then you've done a master's and just finished a master's in. I think it was in was it was it in management? Is that what I read? Yeah, management and strategy. Yeah, so finished that. Would have finished that at the end of last year. I suppose what kind of drew you to that, James, in terms of your own, I suppose your own individual personality, but then also career wise, or kind of what was the motivation to kind of to veer towards that route. Well, I'd always wanted to kind of do a master's. I would always, once I'd done a year or two in college, I was always kind of saying, Look, I'll do a master's. I always kind of had an ambition of mind to do a master's. And I kind of thought, like, it'd be a great, like, be a great time to do it just straight after graduating um, from my undergrad. Because, you know, you're in, you're in the swing of things with college. You're used to your essay writing. You're used to the referencing and all that. Um, and as well as that, I was saying, I'd be lying if I said, like, Fitzgibbon Cup would, would, would have had an impact, unfortunately. Um didn't get to play that year because kind of club commitments, but um, like that would have been a factor as well. And then it was just obviously then you're coming out and you're looking to obviously increase your chances of employment as well. And I felt having a master's under my belt um, would have been would have been a huge benefit to me. Um, and the reason I suppose why I went into management strategy as such and picked that degree was because as part of my undergrad in DCU, um, I spent my third year, my a full year, um, the whole year is out on work experience. I would have done an internship in BDO at the time, a professional services firm, and I would have worked in the HR department. Um, and while I liked HR, um, like I'd always kind of known from the modules and even from school, and I'd always known I wasn't going to be finance head and that I wasn't going to go into audit or tax or corporate finance, any of the easy areas. So I kind of said, look, HR will, Something that interests me, obviously dealing with people, people management, kind of talent. Um, but I said as well as that, like for in terms of an internship, I'd be, you know, I can create a network there where I can get to talk to 
people in various different departments and that and see what kind of they do so that when I come out into my final year um, that I'll have a better picture of what I actually want to do in terms of my long-term career. So kind of towards the end of my my internship in BDO, I would have talked to a few people um, and, and over the course of it, not just at the end, I would talk to people in different departments to kind of see what they did. Um, and particular conversations with people in, in BDO Eaton Square, which would kind of be the management consultant, I kind of found the work that they did to be quite interesting. So then like that was kind of, that shaped my specialism then as part of my undergrad, which was I specialised in management then instead of going down like the HO route. Um, and then from there, my master's like management and strategy is very much directed towards a career management consultant. So that's that's a big part of the reason why I went there. And as well as that, that course um, in DCU, that strategic, that management and strategy course, um, like a big seller of that for me as well was the option of for 20 credits, like you could obviously do your your thesis um, or else you had the option to do like a, an applied research project where you worked with like an actual client on kind of a management consultant project. Um, I, found, I found that to be a great seller as well because writing a thesis and doing all that research and writing didn't appeal to me. Um, definitely didn't like even having to do literature review in, in my final my undergrad. I was like, no, thank you. So kind of having Break that, your heart. yeah. So having that kind of, that uh, kind of was group project, that kind of applied research, kind of dealing with clients. I found that to be brilliant. Um, and that was kind of uh, another reason why I went to, to that course in DCU. Brilliant. So it kind of, as you're talking there, James, it kind of sounds like, you know, you don't rock in with kind of this clear path forward, but like each phase is kind of informing you and kind of opening your eyes to kind of what's around and what the opportunities are. Um, and then ultimately you finish the master's and you've just transitioned into a job as a business consultant in Grand Thornton, right? Yeah, that's right. I suppose just be just curious for anyone listening that's kind of interested in studying in that area, that line of work, kind of what does that role involve? Kind of what's your day-to-day work life like with, with that yeah it's kind of similar to as what i was kind of saying there you're dealing with um, a lot of your work is is client facing so you're dealing with a lot of clients and you're working on kind of various different um projects it could be org design related or it could be could be you know i business information systems and developing it systems um for clients like there's a huge range of work and then like grant thornton as well like you're like I'm only there obviously two months now, but I give a huge amount of opportunity. You can do a lot of internal work. Like you can do, like you can join, there's like, you can join, say, you can join an internal group. Like say, for example, you can join like a retention group where you're kind of working on building out a retention strategy for the business consultant department. Um, like there's a lot of things you can do even if you're not overly busy in terms of on the project you're, you're assigned to in terms of dealing with clients. Like there's a lot of internal work that you can get your hands stuck into. Um, like which you no, know, it's brilliant. I'm really enjoying my time there so far. Brilliant. Like it sounds like within that there's like there's enough variety to kind of keep you I was gonna say stop you stop you from getting bored, but then also it's a lot of people facing stuff for you're working with people as well. Um I suppose the other thing I was just gonna ask you, James, was how have you found the I suppose the transition from being a kind of full time student in Plainindra County into the workplace in Plainindra County? I know like the Players Voice podcast series is done in collaborate or in partnership with BO360, which is a player development program that looks at life skills, well-being, dual career and transitions. And I suppose it's a it's just one of those kind of pinch points that sometimes catches people as they leave college and they go into work and then still trying to manage and adjust schedules and timelines and where they need to be and training and all that kind of stuff. So I was just kind of curious as to kind of how that I know you're early in the journey, but how that transition has been for you, James. Yeah, as I said, the schedule is the main thing. And I found initially I would have talked to, say, our nutritionist in the Calair setup. I would have talked to her kind of, a, I found the, like the fact you're going from a, a kind of a student college environment where you have kind of nearly complete freedom of time. You can kind of you can nearly wake up when you want, like you can eat food anytime. Whereas when you're in the work environment, you kind of more set times, like you have to have your breakfast before you start work. You might get a small little break to have a snack. Then you have your lunch at like one to two. And then, you know, if you're running off the train and then you might need to try fit in another meal. So that was one thing I found to be a challenge. And as well, as well as that. Now, thankfully, uh, Grant Thornton, you know, they offer flexible working and hybrid working, which is a huge support. Like I'd, I'd find it a lot more difficult. I think if I was had to be, um, in the office, say every day of the week and travel commute from Dublin city centre back to to Newbridge for training like I think that would be a huge challenge but thankfully the fact you have the opportunity to kind of work from home um, 
definitely alleviates that kind of pain as such. Like it makes things a lot easier there. Um, yeah, just dealing with the, the, the kind of the new structures and the new schedules is 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 it, it can be difficult, but you kind of get used to it fairly quick as well. You have to adapt, or else you kind of get uh, get left behind, and you start having to you start missing out on things. Just as you were kind of talking there too, like would you be someone who's kind of I'm not gonna say regimental, but just kind of lining out your week ahead and your day ahead. Like, do you like to be ahead in terms of preparation and structure? Is that how you are, or no? Yeah, no, I would. I like to be quite organised. I'd like to have a like to do like little to do lists and stuff. I like to just have kind of a plan and kind of have an idea of of how my day is going to go. Um, obviously, it doesn't always go as planned, but like, yeah, I like to try kind of plan as much as possible for for the days ahead. I suppose just as I as I look to finish up, James, just kind of kind of the last thing I was going to talk to you about was I know I mentioned the BO360 program there. I'm just kind of curious in terms of your own personal development journey, be it on the field or off the field. Um, have you been engaged or have you engaged with the, the Gaelic Players Association along that path? And I suppose if you have, how have they helped you or how have they helped you, been able to help you? Yeah, I have engaged with, since probably I think my, my first time engaging with them was in even, it was 2019. I think I went to a, a LinkedIn workshop at the, at the time and, and obviously I was in second year of college at the time and it was brilliant. I went with one of my teammates um, who, was, who was in my year as well. And, you know, at the time it was brilliant because you're, you know, you're, you understand and then the importance of LinkedIn in terms of your professional network and, and how important that is in terms of getting jobs. And, and obviously then my following year, my third year, I was looking at internships. So I kind of really, that kind of helped me massively in terms of making that first step and getting that internship in BDO kind of helped me kind of highlighting the importance of even sport can play as well and like not being afraid to, to lean on your sporting experiences when you're talking about some of your, you know, your personal competencies and what you can bring to teams, um, even in, in different environments, like even if it is in the workplace, like there's still a lot of your experience that is transferable and understanding, like understanding the importance of selling that um, from attending those workshops was brilliant. It would have worked then as well. Got a bit of help in terms of you know, drafting CVs, getting into into the masters in in, in DCU, would have got a help, bit of help from from um, the GPA there as well, which is brilliant. Um, recently, I, I attended the Elite Leadership uh, Conference as well. Um, again, just brilliant to being able to all those different workshops again, um, and and the the panel of speakers that day as well, learning from them. Um, you know, it was all just brilliant, like learning from Eamon Fennell. Michael Fenley, Vicky Wallach, you know, treated diverse backgrounds, but hearing from them um, and just building your network then as well from from talking to the various players around different counties and different, across different codes and everything and kind of learning what their lives are like outside of their sport as well. And, you know, I think it's definitely something that um, a lot of younger players don't realise um, the benefits of engaging with the GPA and, and how how it can help you so much in terms of college work or even as you said if it's if it's sports related and balancing you know managing your time and your various commitments like there's a huge amount of support there that the GPA um, provide that a lot of players maybe just don't know about as well or they're kind of just afraid to to make kind of to make that step and reaching out because initially that's I found that um, and the fact even I went with a teammate to that first event um, that that LinkedIn workshop made my experience like made it more comfortable for me to to take that first step and then you realize how great this a service it is and how easy going and approachable everyone in G, in the gpa is um so yeah no definitely i think once once you make that first engagement you're definitely going to be likely to engage in it again no and thank you for that kind of like that overview and that snapshot of what it's been like for you i suppose i was just as you were talking there, I was also thinking like, was there any stage of that, like particularly in the earlier phase, like where you were like, oh, I, I'm only playing with say Kildare Hurland. So like, I don't know if I'm able to get this or even, like I remember when I was younger and I was playing with Calvin football, like I was just breaking through and I had similar thoughts of like, ah, that's not for me. Like that's for other people because like, you know, they're like been around a couple of years or their team is like really good. And it's kind of like the big teams. Was that ever part of like your headspace in, in that phase? Initially, it would have been, yeah. And it was actually only we had a kind of an on-site um, visit from the GPA. I can't remember who it was at the time, but somebody from the GPA came and spoke to our squad after training and highlighted the various different um, obviously services it offers. Then I kind of realized at the time, like when you're 18, you kind of see the GPA, you'd be like, right, that's for kind of people that are older, you know, they're they're looking like, they're like yeah. they're 30 and they're looking for kind of the change in career paths and stuff. But you kind of realize how applicable it is to everyone at the various different stages 
that everyone's at like so now that is something initially that I would have thought but I was quickly my head was turned to realize it actually can benefit so many different demographics like yeah I just thought that was an important kind of note to to finish on James in in the sense of that you know whether if you're a Kildare hurler listening to this if it's a Cavan footballer it's a Limerick hurler a Dublin footballer a Kerry it doesn't matter it's all the same that those services that suite of services that are there are available um, and I suppose we'll, I suppose we'll just finish on that note I know I'll have the links for the Bio360 programme and website either side of this conversation for any players that are listening but I suppose to as I finish up I just want to say thank you for your time and insight today um, thank you for your perspective both in terms of your growth as an individual hurling in Kildare and the experiences that you've had and the lessons that you've shared with us I really appreciate it and I know for a fact that they're going to add value to the player's voice so James Burke thank you very much Thanks everyone, Alan. I was delighted to have that chat conversation with you there and looking forward to hearing more episodes. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of The Player's Voice, which is brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. To listen to previous episodes with leading inter-county GA players like Patrick Horgan, Niall Morgan, Leah Caffrey and Ashing Thompson, make sure to subscribe by searching The Player's Voice on whatever podcast platform you prefer. And while there, you would really be helping us out if you rated or reviewed the show. My name is Alan O'Mara, and to find out more about my work as a performance and wellbeing consultant, go to www.realtalks.ie. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram if you have any feedback about this episode or want to suggest any future guests. And please don't forget, you can find out more about the GPA's BO360 program by visiting bo360.gaelicplayers.com. Thanks for listening. Off the Balls Cash Machine. This is your chance to win €10,000. The winning continued on the cash machine on Tuesday when we called Stephen McAuliffe. He was packing for his holidays next week and he's now going with a little extra spending money. Taking part is easy. Each day we give you a new amount. You take note of it. Enter. And if you get the call at 3pm, if you can give us that cash amount, you will take home the prize. The cash machine has been reloaded and the amount you need to know now is 10000 €422.60. To enter, text OTB and only OTB to 57557. That's 57557. If it's you that we call after 3pm, answer your phone within five rings, tell us the prize amount and you win the money. The cost is €2.50 to enter plus your standard message rate to play. You have to be over the age of 18 and you are playing across the Goal Out network. The full terms are available on our website. That's offtheball.com. The amount again is €10,422.60. A reminder that if you're listening to this after 3pm on Wednesday, May 31st, don't enter unless you know the current cash machine amount as you will be charged, but your entry will be invalid.